Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Spezia review episode, which I am going to take solo, but I have a lot to say about this match. So I'm going to break it up into two parts. So let's get right into it. The match finished 1-0 for Spezia, which was a big shock for everyone. As I mentioned in my preview, Spezia came into this match three points clear of the relegation zone. What made it worse was that Spezia won the match without registering a single shot on target, which is the first time that's happened in Serie A since Opta started collecting stats in 2004. That's because the only goal of the match was an own goal by Juan Jesus. I couldn't help but laugh when I read Thiago Mota's comments after the match. He said Spezia deserved to win. I don't know how he could think that if his team failed to get a single shot on target. If he said they deserved something from the match, i.e. a draw, for how well they defended, then I'd be okay with it. But to say that Spezia deserved to win, give me a break. He should be thanking Napoli for letting him keep his job for Christmas. Spezia have scored one goal in each of their last two matches, and both of them were own goals. For Napoli, this was our third consecutive defeat at home, but I think that sounds a lot worse than the situation actually is. We had a 2-1 lead against Atalanta and played really well. We just couldn't hold on. Atalanta had a full squad with way too much firepower. We lost to Ampoli, who scored a very lucky goal with Anguissa heading the ball off the back of the head of Patrick Cutrone and into our goal. That might as well have been an own goal. Then we lost this match on an own goal. So not only have we been unlucky with injuries, we've also been unlucky with the results. Now, we still would have been very disappointed if the last two home matches ended as nil-nil draws, 
But like I said with the Empoli review, and like my friend Alex Dono said on the latest episode of the Caltro Connection podcast, if you played this match 10 times, we would probably win it 9 times, this just happened to be the one loss. The XG score for the Empoli game was 1.62 to 0.64 for Napoli, and the XG score for this match was 1.45 to 0.36 for Napoli. We'll break down exactly what happened in this match in just a moment, but first let's get to the starting lineups. Spezia made two changes compared to what Gazzetta dello Sport had predicted. They lined up in their usual 3-5-2 formation with Ivan Provedel in goal. Martin Ehrlich started in the center of the back three with Dimitrios Nikolaou to his left and Calvin Amian to his right. Jakob Kivior started in the center of the midfield with Giulio Maggiore and Simone Bastoni who started over Viktor Kovalenko. Arkadouj Reza played as the left wing back and Emmanuel Giassi played as the right wing back. Finally, Kevin Agudello and Ray Manai started at striker, while Gazzetta was expecting Mbala Nzola to start. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti made four changes to the squad he fielded against Milan and only one change compared to our predicted 11. He lined up in a 4-2-3-1 with David Ospina in goal, Juan Jesus and Amir Rachmani started again at centre-back. Mario Rui returned to the starting 11, so Giovanni Di Lorenzo went back to right back, and Kevin Malqui returned to the bench. Frank Zambo Anguisa and Stanislav Lobotka started in the double pivot, with Lobotka starting over Diego Demme. Matteo Politano started on the right wing, so Chucky Lozano moved over to the left wing, relegating Eli Felmas to the bench. Piotr Zelinski started again in the number 10, and Dries Mertens started over Andrea Petania at striker. So those were the starting lineups, next let's quickly revisit our three keys to the match. My first key to the match was that we needed to be focused after a big win over Milan. Unfortunately, we did not achieve this goal. We made way too many errant passes, I thought we often made poor decisions, we took shots when the pass might have been the better option, and we passed or took too many touches when the shot might have been the better option. I thought Spalletti's assessment at the end of the match was fairly accurate. He said we made too many technical errors and that we weren't good at closing the actions. In other words, the final ball or the shots we took lacked quality. He said we weren't good in the area at creating space or penetrating Spezia's low block. And when we did, we were unlucky to not find the open man or to find the player that could finish the chance. I think he was spot on with that. My second key to the match was that we needed to win the aerial duels, particularly inside our own third. I think technically we have to say that we achieved this one because Juan Jesus did win the header over Ehrlich to score in his own goal. I'm not sure he could score a goal like that at the opposite end even if he tried. Now, I know everyone got on his case for this goal. I saw a really funny tweet from Frank P from Napoli Club Toronto. He simply said, Juan Judas is more like it. But in all seriousness, I'm not going to be too hard on him. I said the same thing when Koulibaly scored the own goal against Juventus. Obviously, if it can happen to Koulibaly, then it can happen to anyone. I'm not saying Juan Jesus is Koulibaly, of course, or that he's built up the same goodwill that Koulibaly has, but it's simply an unfortunate play that doesn't say anything about the quality of the player. Also, even if he didn't score the own goal and the match finished nil-nil, I think most of us would still be very upset with the result. Anything other than a win in this match would have been, and was, very, very disappointing. Credit to Jesus though, he did apologize to the fans after the match. My final key to the match was that we needed to be accurate with our shooting, we did not achieve this goal either. Obviously we didn't score any goals, at least none that counted, we had two goals disallowed, one by Lozano and another by Patania, only 6 minutes apart. 
Both decisions were correct, though Politano was clearly offside on the Lozano goal, and Petania clearly pushed Oretza before heading into the back of the goal. Out of our 25 shot attempts, 5 were blocked and 13 missed the target, so only 7 of our shots actually hit the target. Of those 7, a couple were straight at Providel and a couple were from really tight angles. Of course, there was that Lozano chance, which he shot straight down the middle and Oretza made the block. I'll come back to Lozano in a second. And then there was the shot by Angisa from the edge of the area that required a decent save from Providel. There was also the Elmas header that bounced off the top of the bar. That wasn't terribly surprising. I mentioned in my preview how teams seem to hit the frame of the goal more against Spezia than against any other team in the league. And then Mertens, Politano, and Elmas all had shots just missed the goal, so our shooting definitely lacked accuracy in this match. So we failed to achieve two of our three keys to the match, and we scored an own goal, which would suggest that a loss is what we deserved from this match. Alright, so those were our three keys to the match. There are a few other subjects that I want to address. The first is Spalletti's squad selection and substitutions. I agree with most of the criticism of Spalletti in this regard. I think this was a rare match where he just got it wrong. Now, obviously it's easy to say that in retrospect, but that's what analysis is. It's backward looking. I had only one issue with the starting 11. I would have liked to see Elmas start on the left wing. He's been playing really well lately, including scoring the only goal against Milan. That's why I had it in my predicted 11 with Lozano on the right wing. Instead, Spalletti went with Lozano on the left and Politano on the right. Watching the match live, I thought neither of our wingers played particularly well, but after watching the match a second time, I don't think Politano was actually that bad, especially in the second half. Early in the second half, he seemed to be looking for Petania in the area. I'm not sure why we got away from that because that actually seemed to be working. Politano was definitely trying to create chances and he had that chance in the first half that just missed the near post. Lozano, on the other hand, was bad both times I watched this match. But like I said, I'm going to come back to him in just a second. Back to Almas, Spalletti was also criticized for waiting until the 78th minute to bring him on. And I think that criticism was fair. He took off Lobotka, who I thought had another solid performance, but he did start to decline in the second half. And realistically, with how deep Spezia were playing, you don't really need a Regista. So I would have liked to see this change happen instead of replacing Zielinski with Unas. Spalletti could have taken Lobotka out, dropped Zielinski into the double pivot, and played Elmas in the number 10. Then later, you remove Zielinski and bring on Diego Deme. Alternatively, you could have made those two changes at the same time. You have Elmas replace Zielinski and Deme replace Lobotka, which would be like-for-like like swaps. If you wanted to still bring Unas on in the 69th minute, you just have him replace Lozano and either play Unas on the left wing, which is not really his position, or you play Elmas on the wing and Unas in the number 10. I actually would have liked to see a triple substitution there, which is not something you see often because generally that's too much change all at once, which can disrupt the flow. But given how poorly we were playing, maybe it would have been a good thing to shake things up. Clearly, whatever we were trying to do wasn't working. But for me, and I think most of you, the biggest mistake Spalletti made was replacing Dries Mertens with Andrea Petania at the half. I thought Mertens was our most creative player in the half. He made a few no-look passes that helped break the low block, and he nearly scored after a lovely little 1-2 with Angisa. I've commented in previous episodes how my big concern lately has been that if Mertens doesn't score, 
we don't have many others to depend on. We certainly cannot rely on Andrea Petagna for goals. He has a lot to offer because of his unique characteristics, but one thing he does not offer, at least not lately, is goals. He scored only one goal in 16 appearances this season. Now granted, most of those appearances have been off the bench, but that is still a very low rate of production. Now there was some concern that perhaps Spalletti made the change at the half because Mertens was hurt. That was not the case. Spalletti said after the match that it was a tactical change. He felt the team needed more physicality. Perhaps he was right, but he could have replaced another player so that he would still get the physicality of Patania, but the creativity of Mertens like Zielinski, or again take Lobotka off, drop Zielinski and play Mertens in the 10. There have been reports in various papers that Mertens was not happy with being taken off. According to Corriere dello Sport, De Laurentiis toasted the team after the match and he asked Mertens as the captain of this match to pop the bottle, but he remained seated. They also reported that Mertens immediately had a discussion with Spalletti when he learned that he was being taken out, but it was a civil discussion and that it took Gulam and other teammates to cheer him up. The article ended with a quote from Mertens after the Milan match, which he did not start, where he said Spalletti is a very good coach, but sometimes he makes strange choices. Now, I wouldn't worry at all about this situation. In fact, I don't think this is a situation at all. Like our friend Amo said a little while back, the papers will look for any reason to stir up drama specifically with Napoli, but frankly, I think they do that with every club because that's what gets clicks. Finally, I don't understand why we replaced Mario Rui with Fauzi Gulam. Mario Rui picked up a yellow card, which means he's suspended for the Juventus match, so you might as well have left him out there. I would have liked to see Kevin Malqui replace Matteo Politano together with a change in formation to a 3-5-2. I think Malqui deserved the opportunity given how he's played lately. Maybe Spalletti wanted Gulaman to cross the ball into the area because he's an excellent crosser of the ball, but surely Malqui is more of an attacking threat than Gulam, who has hardly played. Now, maybe he removed Mario Rui for fitness reasons. He did just return from a muscle fatigue issue, or possibly even because he was concerned about a second yellow card. But even then, Spalletti could have still used Malqui by removing Mario Rui and moving Di Lorenzo to the left side, and then playing Malqui at right back. So like I said, I think Spalletti got it all wrong in this one, but as Calcio Napoli 24 journalist Bruno Galvan said on Twitter, criticizing Spalletti's decisions on Wednesday is not the same as questioning the entire path he's taken this Napoli team on. The last thing I want to talk about in part one is Chucky Lozano, who I've mentioned a couple of times now. Before I talk about Lozano, let me just tell you that I am doing my best to be as objective as possible here. This has nothing to do with the Lozano-Politano debate. Frankly, I think that debate is completely unnecessary. So that said, I think Lozano was really poor in this match. He has great pace. He's great at reading the play. It's not a coincidence that these chances always seem to fall for him. But his touch and his finishing have let him down far too often this season. That chance that was blocked by Ehrlich is not the first sitter he's missed this campaign. Now, it's not uncommon for attacking players to have a poor run of form where they just can't catch a break. That seems to be the case for Lozano at the moment. Sometimes all they need is a little bit of luck to snap out of it. That takes the weight off their shoulders, they calm down a little bit, the game slows down, and the goals start to flow. That's what I'm hoping for for him, but at the moment things are just not going his way. Perhaps he has the malocchio on him for saying he aspires to play for a bigger club one day, that's not something Napoli fans would simply ignore. Lozano has now played two and a half seasons with us. 
I gave him a pass for the first season because he was new to the club. He was new to the city. That was a tumultuous season with the mutiny and Gattuso replacing Ancelotti. Last season was a tale of two halves for Lozano. He had a great first half of the season. Then he got hurt in the Juventus game. That could potentially explain why he had a poor second half. Likewise, he had that nasty head collision playing for Mexico in the summer, which caused him to miss the entire summer retreat. So I was also willing to give him time to get back to full fitness at the start of this season. But we're now midway through the season and he's still not producing all that much. I hate to say it, but he has not lived up to the 40 million euro price tag. Lozano went from being a poor signing to a new signing already in the team and now back to being a poor signing again. I know a lot of people want us to sign a striker in January with Victor Osman not available. Personally, I think it would be more cost effective to simply rehire Gennaro Gattuso who, as far as I'm aware, is still unemployed and just have him sit in the stands and yell Chucky all match. Maybe then Lozano will start scoring again. In all seriousness though, there is still time for him to turn it around. His contract expires in June of 2024, so we're now at the midway point not just of the season, but of his contract as well. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll talk about the suggestion from many so-called experts that we don't have depth, and we'll compare Luciano Spalletti's first half of the season to Gattuso's first half of last season. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Next, I want to talk about the suggestion that I've heard from a lot of pundits that Napoli don't have depth. For any of you who have listened to this podcast since last year, I may sound like a bit of a broken record here because I made the exact same argument last year, so if you did, bear with me for just a moment. For me, depth does not mean that you have two starting lineups who could beat any team in the league on a consistent basis. Very few teams in the world actually have that, and the ones that do, like PSG and Man City, have boatloads of cash. Even the top Serie A teams like Inter don't have that. It's not a perfect comparison, but if you were to remove, say, Edin Dzeko, Ivan Perisic, Marcelo Brozovic, and Milan Skriniar from Inter, would they still win every match consistently? Maybe, but I would suggest not, and that's only compared to the Spezia match. If you look at the previous matches, you'd also have to remove someone like Hakan or Barella. For me, depth means having players that can occasionally rotate into the squad and still get results, and the key word there is occasionally. Before we got all these injuries, we used our regular starters in the league and we rotated 6 or 7 players for our Europa League matches. That ensures everyone stays fresh. When you have this many injuries and basically the best player at each of their respective positions is hurt, not only are you playing reserves, but you're playing them multiple times a week. That means none of these players are fresh, not to mention that a number of the players who are playing have themselves just returned from injury which means even they are not 100% fit like we saw against Empoli. That is not a depth issue, that is an injury issue. That said, I'm not using the injuries as an excuse for losing to Spezia, who let's be honest are an awful team. We didn't lose this match because we don't have depth, that is, we didn't lose this match because our depth players aren't good enough. We know that our reserve players are good enough. We saw that firsthand in the win over Leicester City in the Europa League. We saw that in the loss to Atalanta in Serie A, where despite the loss, we played really, really well. And we saw that in the first hour of the Sassuolo match before the wheels fell off. From those three matches, we know what our reserve players are capable of. If we played this match the same way we played those matches, 
we easily would have won. So we didn't lose this match because of a lack of depth, we lost this match because we simply did not play well. That happens sometimes even with healthy players. Look at the Hellas Verona match. The only key player we were missing for that one was Koulibaly because he was sent off in the previous match against Lernitana, and yet we still didn't win. So if the issue isn't depth, then what is the issue? What explains such a poor performance, not just in this match, but in others as well? Unfortunately, like most people, I don't have the answer to that, but I think Fauzi Gulam gave us a big hint after the match. He said, it's something we footballers must learn to resolve if we lose certain points. It's not just this year, it's been happening for several years and we must demonstrate a quality football mentality. It's not a problem with the staff or the environment, but of the players. I have huge respect for Gulam for acknowledging that and being so open about it. He's certainly been around long enough to understand why the fans are frustrated Plenty of other players made comments on social media, but it was the usual stuff you expect professional athletes to say. Politano said, we are not finished and we will prove it. Losing like this hurts. We try to win it in every way. Insignia said, nobody wants to lose, especially in front of their own public, but it happens. You have to get up immediately and think about the next match. And Gisa said, sometimes football is cruel. We stick together because together we win and lose. And Di Lorenzo said, we were hoping to end the year with a different result. Now we start again with more energy. The last thing I want to talk about is Spalletti's first half of the season compared to Gattuso's first half of last season. Statistically, they're pretty close. This season, we have a record of 12 wins, 3 draws, and 4 losses, which amounts to 39 points. That's good enough for third place, 7 points back of league leaders Inted, and 3 points back of Milan in second place. Last season, Gattuso's Napoli had 11 wins, 1 draw, and 7 losses, which amounted to 34 points. That had us sitting tied with Lazio in 7th position, 12 points back of league leaders Milan. So we're 5 points ahead of where we were this time last year, but as you recall, we had a really strong second half last season. We had 13 wins, 4 draws, and only 2 losses in the second half, so we collected 43 points in the second half, that's 9 more than we collected in the first half last season, and we finished with a total of 77 points. Spalletti is currently on pace for 78 points, so unless Spalletti goes on a similar run as Gattuso did, we could finish right around the same area in terms of total points. And yet, the vibe around the club is very different this year compared to last year. This time last season, Gattuso out was all we heard, amidst reports that there was friction between Gattuso and De Laurentiis. As our friend Vincenzo Bertillo has been saying, imagine the reaction on Twitter if it was Gattuso who lost to Empoli and Spezia. And he's not wrong, with Spalletti, I haven't really seen such criticism. Not only that, he seems to have the full support of De Laurentiis, who even spoke to the team after the match. He told them they have a great coach and a great club behind them, and he said to forget this defeat and think about having a Merry Christmas with their families. So why the different treatment from the owner and fans alike? I can think of a few reasons. The first and foremost is that Spalletti is much better at handling the media. Now, I know some fans who think he's not genuine in his conferences. Frankly, neither do I. He's a little over the top with the Napolitan references, like saying the players have Vesuvio inside of them, but you can't deny that he's handled the media better than Gattuso did. Gattuso was a bit more emotional in his press conferences. I think that just comes down to different personalities. 
He was also constantly asked about being sacked, which Spalletti hasn't been asked, at least not yet anyway. It got so bad that De Laurentiis imposed a silencio stampa, or a press silence. Now, some people have suggested that De Laurentiis did that because Gattuso was also speaking a little bit too openly about their relationship, but whatever the reason, it seemed to work. Spalletti has been pretty careful not to criticize De Laurentiis, which is probably a smart move. But I think what frustrated some fans was that he kept using injuries as an excuse. Now, I agree with him, as I said in part one. I think that's the primary reason why we've dropped points this season. But what Spalletti has done differently is he's spoken more about the players who are available as opposed to the players who are not. From day one, he said that we have 23 strong players and that he doesn't have a starting 11. That's instilled confidence in the reserve players and as a result, their play has improved. Stanislav Lobotka is the prime example. He actually said that Spalletti showed confidence in him and he wants to return the favor. The second reason I think Spalletti has had more support is because of the product on the pitch. Even with the injuries, we see a team that has an identity and plays the way Spalletti wants them to play. It's a possession-based system with quick, intricate passes and lots of movement off the ball. That's a very aesthetically pleasing brand of football. Now, I know at the end of the day, it's results that matter and only results, not the way you get them. Max Allegri won many Scudetti playing a style of football that wasn't terribly fun to watch. But from a fan's perspective, it's hard to not be more confident in a team that attacks and goes after results than a team that sits back and hopes to catch you on the counter. The third reason I think Spalletti is getting different treatment, at least from De Laurentiis, is because De Laurentiis signed him to a longer contract. Gattuso was initially brought in to be a caretaker manager and he did so well that we extended him for a year with an option to extend for another year. Spalletti was signed to a two-year contract, so if De Laurentiis fired him, not only would he have to continue to pay Spalletti, he would also have to hire another manager and we all know how much De Laurentiis hates spending money. So at least at this stage, with the team still in the Champions League qualification spots, De Laurentiis is better off giving Spalletti a vote of confidence. So where does this result leave us? Unfortunately, we're now 7 points back of Inter and 3 points back of Milan, as I said. With half a season to play, a Scudetto is still a possibility, but we're obviously going to need Inter to drop some points. The way we are playing at the moment, Inter certainly appear to be the clear-cut favorites to win the championship. Milan are looking like strong contenders as well, especially when you consider that they do not have to deal with European competitions. At the very least, they will be able to better manage their injuries, playing for the most part only once a week. There's still the Coppa Italia and the occasional midweek Serie A fixture, of course. For Napoli, finishing in the top four is back to being our primary target. Now, if you want to take a more positive view of this round, three of the clubs that we're competing with for those top four spots also dropped points. Atalanta tied Genoa 0-0, which was a really shocking result. Genoa have been absolutely dreadful this season. They also didn't register a single shot on target in that match, but congrats to Andrei Shevchenko on getting his first point in charge at Genoa. Fiorentina needed a second-half equalizer to draw Hellas Verona 1-1, and Roma blew a 1-0 lead to draw Sampdoria 1-1. So the only team that gained some real ground on us, unfortunately, was Juventus. They beat Cagliari 2-0 on Tuesday. That leaves them only 4 points back of Atalanta for the final Champions League position, and only 5 points back of us. That sets up a juicy match against Juventus on January 6th, which is our first game after the break. 
So that will do for the first half of the season. Before I let you go, be sure to check out our latest Napolitan song of the week. I tried to keep it festive with Luca Rossi's Quano Neshatenino. Rossi, who was actually born in Caserta, has been a big proponent of Campano music. He's a really interesting person dedicated to spreading Campano music, and particularly music played with his favorite instrument, the tamora, which is like a drum combined with a tambourine. Rossi is also the author of a book, Il Raccontaio, which means the storyteller, which later became a theatrical show. So that's where we'll leave it. If you're listening to this right after it posted, Buon Natale, Merry Christmas for those of you who celebrated. And if you're listening to this after Christmas, I hope you had a good one. Regardless of what you celebrate with everything going on in the world, I just hope you had a happy and safe holiday. Hopefully, I've been able to help you get through it, even if it is just for a couple of hours a week. If you liked what you heard, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can find me mostly on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. I'm going to take a short break over the holidays. We'll see. I may still release an episode or two. But until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.